Welcome to the Center for Internet Security's podcast, Cybersecurity Where You Are. Cybersecurity affects us all, whether we are at home, managing a company, supporting clients, or even running a state or local government. Join CIS's Sean Atkinson and Tony Sager as they discuss trends and threats, ways to implement controls and infrastructure, explore best practices, and interview experts in the industry. We are here to bring clarity to these complex issues to bring confidence in the connected world. Welcome to the show. I'm Sean Atkinson CISO here at the Center for Internet Security with the podcast Cybersecurity Where You Are. I'm joined today by my host with the most, Tony Sager. How are you, sir? Great, Sean. Great to be back online with you. Tony, we are celebrating 50 episodes. Can you believe it? No, not a chance. 50 episodes. I, I mean, I remember when this was starting, it was like, what do we have to say that will keep people interested? And actually, we don't know if they're interested other than by, by viewership, but we're having a great time, right, Sean? We certainly are. We certainly are. We're also joined by Kathleen Moriarty and Randy Rose, two of our favorite guests here uh, from the Center for Internet Security. Um, Randy, how about a quick introduction just for uh, this particular episode? Sure. Yeah, happy to uh, to be back. Uh, this is actually my third time on the podcast, so pretty excited. Uh, so uh, my name is Randy Rose. I'm the the senior director of operations and intelligence here at CIS, and and my focus is on the multi-state and elections infrastructure ISACs, which are information sharing and analysis centers. Kind of a unique uh, element of CIS in that we actually perform a an operational function for state, local, tribal and territorial governments and elections infrastructure here in the US. So we provide security services directly to them, things like cybersecurity monitoring, real-time alerting, um, cyber threat intelligence, incident response services, those kinds of things. Fantastic. Thank you, Randy. And Kathleen Moriarty, our Chief Technology Officer. How about a quick introduction for the audience? Greetings. So as Sean mentioned, I'm the Chief Technology Officer at Center for Internet Security. I'm really excited to be here on the podcast. There's always great value given to our members. As Randy said, the the focus being state, local, tribal, and territorial organizations, and very applicable to really many businesses who can't keep up with the demands for cybersecurity today, uh, which is one of my team's focus areas in the coming years, looking to see how can we make it better? Uh, what kind of research and development can we do to ease the burden on the cyber under-resourced? So I'm excited to be on this podcast and appreciate the themes and advice given. Fantastic. Thank you, Kathleen. Much appreciated. And again, Kathleen, a three-time member of the three-time club in terms of <laughs> being on the podcast as well. It's absolutely fantastic to have you both. So, Tony, I, I kind of want to go down memory lane if I could. Sure. Um, I think I'm really thinking about my favorite episodes. I just wanted to introduce one. Was It was episode three when um, I was still cutting my teeth in terms of this, and I was talking with Ryan Spellman, a former uh, member of our team, a uh, key member, um, and we were talking um, really about risk management, but it was the first time I'd introduced the, a set of questions, the Atkinson 9, and it was interesting to see how that actually played out, and it, it turned out pretty good. So I, we kept it, and you know I've been... Uh, introducing it at appropriate times throughout uh, representative podcasts with uh, individuals. Um, and it's always good to get feedback and, you know, ask some uh, 
questions they may not have ever been asked before, uh, especially with the representatively your favorite CIS control. Um, and, and I just have to, and I've never answered the question, so maybe I'll do an episode where I do that. But uh, my favorite control, control three, data protection. It's all about the data for me. Anyway, what about you, Tony? What, what's uh, one, one of the episodes that sticks in your mind? Well, first, let me comment on your uh, Atkinson 9 there. I, I have to admit, so I'm going to confess this to you, Sean, my friend. Yep. When you came up with that and proposed, I thought, oh, my <laughs> gosh, what a silly idea this is. But I think I, as I shared with you when, the, when you hit me with those, I thought it turned out to be very insightful. You know, it gave us a chance to really talk about some things and for us to find common ground. So, man, you OK, that was a learning one for me, and I really do appreciate it. Uh, but in that spirit, so we're... Uh, you know, what, what were my favorite episodes? You know, I, I went back to look through the list recently and I have to admit, you know, maybe it's because I'm an old guy in this business, but I really like uh, some of the, I'll say the little more historically focused things that we've talked about. The one that really jumped out at, at me was, um, I think it was 24, uh, getting, getting started in the career in cybersecurity. And if you remember, we had Linny and Thomas on, you know, two, uh, two young folks who each had an interesting nonlinear story of ent- entering into the business and uh, that gave me a chance to, to think about, you know, the full scope of what we're doing to, to kind of put in perspective the history of, I guess I'm at four and a half decades now, this sort of thing, and, and to appreciate how different the times are, right? To understand sort of how I got to here, but also recognize that the times are really different. And what is a, a person that's early in their career? What should they be doing that is different than the way I thought about it? And so for me, that was a very thought-provoking moment, a chance to... Um, you know, reflect on a long history, but also try to rethink some of the progress and some of the things that I learned in a, in a new context. So, so I, I really enjoyed that as a, a maybe a little less heavy technically, but a lot more interesting, I think, in terms of the personal dynamics of the business. Definitely. Now, that was, again, another great episode and great insight as well. It's good to see, um, you know, I think we were looking at some um, really cybersecurity through the ages in some case uh, with your perspective yes. <laughs> mine and uh, and those coming into the field it was yeah. uh, very very interesting and uh, I also have to reflect on an episode this was episode 18 with Randy um, and it was one where you know we, we'd thrown in a um, you know a, a seasonal treat as it were with uh, respect to the top five scariest malware um, I think we have to repeat that I, I like uh, some of the seasonality that we do because Randy I would also look to say you know when we reach these top five malwares um, that we've ever seen and, and potentially for the seasons, right? You know, I representatively starting seeing malware now for representative seasons, elections and uh, things of that nature. Um, Randy, what was uh, your insight to the podcast, uh, you know, now being a, a three-time member uh, of our podcast here? Yeah, that was actually, episode 18 was my, that was my first time on. So I really liked, the th- I'm a big theme guy and I'm a huge Halloween guy that's my favorite holiday so uh you know for me having a holiday themed episode and and couching it the way you did it was the top five scariest malware of all time we really deep dived on you know what our definition of scary was and why certain things why we felt you know one particular uh threat or malware was scarier than others you know so we obviously talked stuxnet uh you know as being like you know one of the first conversions of of cyber physical activity uh, where you know a cyber attack led to to a physical implication uh, in uh, in a plant uh, you know against industrial equipment which is huge um, I love that theme I, I would love to see more of those uh, you know I think 
you hit on something that was really interesting. You said elections. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a holiday theme, but, you know, I think thematic uh, types of events, uh, types of podcasts, they're, they're always, they're fun for the listener, right? To, to follow along with some kind of uh, pattern or behavior or theme. And, you know, it just helps you get into the, I don't know, get into the content a little bit differently. It, 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 kind of like what Tony said with the questions, right? It, it, it creates, it stirs up some, critical thinking, you know, or thinking about something in a, in a different way. Uh, we can always pick our top five malware, but top five scariest malware, well, that's a different spin on it, right? Or, uh, you know, top five you know, holiday themed, you know, uh, Christmas holiday themed things, right? I mean, it's just a different spin on, yeah. on thinking through the same old, same old. Randy, one, th- one thing I'll, you know, when, when this podcast started, kind of behind the scenes, like where did the name come from, where, where you are? And I, I believe it's, Sean, do you remember? I think it was Danielle that suggested it. And again, I, you know, it sounded okay. That's an okay name, but it turned out to really resonate once we got started, because that really is part of the theme of CIS, right? It's this is we're not we're not there to speak as wizards to people. We're trying to talk to them in their language, right? What do they care about? What are they worried about? What are they afraid of? You know, what what should they? And our goal is to help sort through that and to meet people literally where they are in you know in cyberspace, and not to try to impress or confuse or overwhelm them, but to, to bring it to the things that they really care about. And that, you know, that's a, that's a theme I think for, for the company as a whole and for the podcast is to really get to that kind of stuff, you know, to, to be conversational, to be uh, educational and a little entertaining is great too, because it keeps us going. But I, I like that, uh, that, that focus on theme. Again, it gives you something that will resonate with people and help them, you know, help them feel like this is a, this is about their lives, right? Not about sort of technology or abstract things, but about, their, their lives as economic citizens and their social lives and, and privacy and all those other issues. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then Kathleen, it actually takes me to an episode uh, that we were together on. I believe this was episode 11. So kind of uh, in the early days of the podcast, as it were, where we were talking about uh, attestation. In fact, more uh, specifically remote attestation and the alignment to zero trust. And that's a conversation uh, that uh, we have... um, talked about a lot, you know, going through both innovation, but then internally managing our representative approach to Zero Trust as an organization. I want to get your thoughts on, you know, the episodes that you've heard and, and the ones, obviously, that you've participated in. Sure. Thank you. So attestation, I guess when you first raised that just now, I was thinking of our current work, which will be announcing some findings and it's not moving quite as quickly as I'd like, but it's still very promising and has made a big impact where it is, um, you know, where it's been implemented, like the trusted boot process that we covered back in that episode. And it's moving up the stack into containers and other places. I was listening to the uh, Zero Trust with Scott Hall and I found that to be a good a good podcast in terms of the goal, meeting practitioners where they are, right? So pick a pillar, work with the tools that you have, expand on them, um, you know, work within your tool set and your capabilities to reach zero trust. And then it's a journey. So there was really some important themes. And this is one of the really nice aspects of the overall podcast. And Tony already hit on this, but... Uh, that general theme of meeting people where they are and giving them practical advice, things that won't overwhelm them, it, it is really what's important about this 
this podcast and the advice offered. So it's it's appreciated that focus. Kathleen, yeah, the, the uh, you know you're you're often involved in, in looking a little farther ahead than, than most of us in terms of technology, but as you said, not not so far ahead that, pe- that people can't you know uh, uh, recognize it and, and see themselves in it. And I think you know b- both you and Randy and, and Sean also represent you know, one of the uh, I think really intriguing and important aspects of the Center for Internet Security. You know, I I some, often say right we're a we're a heavy technology organization. We're looking forward. We, we are a professional advice giving organization right through best practices. But we're as near as I can tell, we're the most dominant advice giving organization that has a nationwide 24-7 real life you know, 10,000, 14,000 member responsibility coast to coast. And putting those two together, along with this sort of technology focus, advice giving, you know, uh, uh, direct support to real people doing real work every day, and then the work of Sean and Angelo in IT. Right, we're a modern computing company with complicated, risky partnerships and all kinds of data issues. And when you put that some package together, I think that really gives us a perspective that's important in the industry. I spent my time in a big government agency, which it's easy to get, tell people what to do when you live behind the you know, two layers of concertina wire, and you know you operate on a separate network that isn't connected to the world. But when you have to live in it. And you have to give out advice, right? And by the way, advice can sometimes break people's systems. So you sort of balancing all those, I think, is really important. And, you know, Randy, I know you've given a lot of thought to this, right? It's it's not just about supporting people. It's also how do, you know, we, they have to fight today's fight, but we want to make tomorrow's fight a different one, right? One that's easier, more manageable, et cetera. So, you know, bridging that gap from sort of the day-to-day and then uh, the insight that you can generate, which helps generate insight to where, where Kathleen is trying to take the community. I think it's a really important part of that. Randy, any, any thoughts on your, how do we, how we bring those things together at CIS? Yeah, actually, that's a, that's a really good point. And, you know, Kathleen and I, uh, we, we chat about this quite a bit and we've actually, um, she's created an opportunity for folks on her team to work directly with my team. In fact, she's, it's actually kind of interesting because we do this to sort of the same thing with Sean's team. So under the, the CISO's office, there are a couple positions that are essentially dual hatted between my folks and, and Sean's folks, right? Or it's the same person that's executing a mission part of the time under the CISO hat and part of the time under the operations hat. Um, whether that's, you know, on the vulnerability management program or part of our incident response program, we're doing the same thing in, in Kathleen's, uh, between Kathleen's team and my team. So we have, folks on her team that are doing research and development that are focused on the future, on bringing true value to our SLTT members through a number of different channels, whether that's working with vendors and putting more of the onus on vendors um, or creating opportunities for SLTTs to to leverage technology more effectively uh, or get it in a, in a cheaper, easier fashion. Um, and we do this, you know, not just with my team and Kathleen's team, but also with our sales and business services team and our um, security best practices teams. So we do a lot of that kind of cross-team collaboration where my team is providing this kind of, you know, um, real-time mission support right now in the here and now Mm -hmm. while we're working collaboratively with other teams in CIS to prepare them for the future. Because it really is all about the future. You know, Sean made that comment earlier. It's all about the data for him. We're, we're in that, we're living that day in and day out today, 
but it's not just about the data today. It's about what the adversary is doing to, to take your data tomorrow. We need to set ourselves up for success tomorrow. No, I think it, and it's a gr- those are great examples, you know, uh, Kathleen, you know, and the, you know, good on you for making that kind of opportunity, right, to bridge the gap between the sort of operational practice and then how do we change the practice, right, through new technology, through standards and so forth. I think that that right. is really an important thing. Thank you. Yeah, we have to be seated in reality as we look mm-hmm. forward. Right. So what are the struggles and challenges today? And are we right about that? And so by embedding someone working closely with our ops teams, as well as Sean and Angelo being the, the CISO and the CIO office, we are staying seated in what are the real problems? What are the real challenges? Why are organizations feeling overwhelmed? What's the cause of this large burden so that we could take that step forward and also you know, incorporate a diverse viewpoint? We know from lots of research that diverse viewpoints on many different aspects, including where you sit in an organization, result in a richer uh, finding in terms of that direction. And so I'm thrilled that Randy and his team were receptive to this, and they've always been great collaborators, which is extremely helpful to make good, solid, forward progress and understanding our our members better and what they need, right? So, you know, it's one thing to tell them, here's all of these controls, go off and implement them. It's another to take a step back and say, well, what are you trying to accomplish and how could you accomplish it uh, while meeting security needs? And that's what we're going to look at this year primarily is really taking that step back and seeing, can we do things a bit differently to achieve those controls and get that cyber hygiene? Um, because right now it's it's a lot for organizations to take on the way that we hand it to them. And our operational security services team does a fantastic job offloading, but I think there's more that can be done. And so mm-hmm. we, we hope to figure that out with our partners and our members. Well, I think that that connection, right, is such a uh, important and healthy one. No one gets to throw their network away and start from scratch, right? So the future is going to look like some evolution. We have to get there from where we are, you know, the, literally the where you are theme of the podcast here. And, you know, I've, one of the things I've really learned a lot about uh, is from Sean over this, the, this podcast around the role of the, the CISO, right, the security policies and living in this world of complicated privacy regulation and oversight and all that. So you don't get to solve this problem in abstraction. You have to do it in this context of all these, you know, I'll, I'll call it the figuratively people looking over your shoulder, right? Demanding to know that you've done the right thing or the responsible thing or the reasonable thing. And so, so Sean, you're really an important part of the, the, the mission, right? It's not just sort of service to the company, but it's, to me, it's really fundamental to the mission that we get to bring all this together. And you know, again, your, your insight into both how to frame a program and also, by the way, sell it to the board or, or convince the auditor, I think is essential to, to whatever evolution happens. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, um, and again, it, you know, there's, uh, it, there's influence as well. You know, I, I always, and I always say I owe you money, Tony, in terms of the fog of more, because that's, uh, that's exactly what it is where we're starting to deal with so much regulation. And then as we move to be competitive in this space, you know, it's mm-hmm. looking at external attestation certification to, uh, not only say we are the center for internet security, but that we practice cybersecurity, right. Um, at the highest levels. And and that's a constant element for me. It's always 
um, an assessment and review and then working with leaders in the space such as Randy and Kathleen is fantastic because it's you get different perspectives and one of the things Kathleen mentioned is it's got to be based in reality so when I'm coming in with a program and saying oh here's a plethora of controls and then it's well business is now shut down, Sean. Um, what do we think of that? You, you've mitigated every <laughs> risk possible, but we can't do business. You, we're, we're now securely right. bankrupt, Sean. Good, <laughs> exactly. good on you. Man. Exactly. I did that the best way possible. <laughs> uh, obviously, I, I jest, but it, 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 it's, it is that way because Kathleen's absolutely right. There's a, there's a format to review cybersecurity philosophy than its actual practical application. And, and we do, um, I think we do a little bit of both, and I think we do it very well. Uh, and I love the fact that we can bring on guests and, and return guests, uh, and we can actually go through and show an evolution of of thought, of practice, of where we see things. And it does take me to an episode, and and this was an episode um, with Kathleen and yourself, Tony, about um, thinking inside the box. And I love that. The concept was absolutely brilliant. I, I, I love it. And it was, you know, really starting to shift responsibilities. And we've, you know, we're always, um, as I call it, behind. It's the defender's dilemma in a lot of cases. And it, it's up to us to repair everything that was put in place from either poor practice or just uh, getting to market quicker and, you know, maybe bypassing some elements of test again, uh, dramatic and generalized in my approach here. But it really does focus the fact that we need to, um, we as a uh, an entire industry need to be better. And we, we want to focus and we want to, uh, you know, do the right thing, but we've got to have practical application of the right thing. And uh, like you say, Tony, uh, not only do we practice and preach those elements, but it's such a great example to be able to reflect it from many different uh, viewpoints. I think that's the uh, one of the greatest advantages of this particular show. Yeah, I think so. Uh, just um, switch gears a bit. I'll share another uh, favorite. Uh, it was a, it was a, actually it was a roughly speaking a, a two part episode. Sean was around. Um, I think we had Brian Ray from um, Ohio on uh, public policy, the relationship between cybersecurity and public policy, which is a, a big theme that I've been involved with for some several years now. And then the next was um, Chris Cronin. Uh, th- this this notion of security reasonableness, you know that uh, the, the emerging uh, a theme in uh, regulation and legislation around. So, so the idea is we, we are not going to build perfect systems, right? And, and there's no endpoint. This is about, uh, you know, I mean, making reasonable decisions about the business. Uh, so a, an unreasonable decision is to bankrupt your company in the name of security, as you, you know, as you hinted. But, you know, a, a business owner, a mission owner is, is in the trade-off business. And so they're, they're trying to accomplish certain things. And in some sense, uh, every dollar spent on cybersecurity competes for a dollar not spent on something else, right? Employee safety or product improvement or or whatever the the, uh, the issues that they're dealing with, and we have to recognize that. So I grew up in a world of the you know, kind of the '70s and '80s of someday the mathematicians will invent the you know, perfectly secure operating system that we can all you know reason about the mathematical properties, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, as near as I can tell, uh, yes, a lot of brilliant minds thought of that, but it, they didn't run PowerPoint, so no one used those technologies. So we're you know we're really trying to strike this balance, right, and to recognize and to help shape the the world of why do people make business decisions uh, that have good or not good security properties. 
And that's another place where Randy's work with the, uh, with the state and locals really pays off, right? Because it gives us a unique relationship with key public policy holders, the people that really help try are trying to get a handle on this product or this problem within their own domains. And so, you know, in addition to the firefighting, Randy, right, you, you also have this, you know, we're, we're trying to help people who are responsible for large populations of, of folks and are trying their best to provide an environment, a good business environment, a good social environment, et cetera. And so, you know, I know you've done a lot of work thinking about sort of how that crossover works. Yeah, certainly. I think it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, we, I think we generally like to take the, the position. I don't mean we as an organization, just, I think humans in general like to think that um, particularly particularly when it comes to business that we're making decisions because they're reasonable decisions or because you know we're operating in the the best interest of our stakeholders or our organization uh, and you know that generally speaking people are going to make the best possible decision that they can in in, in that moment and unfortunately sometimes we don't have good information when we have to make a business decision. There just isn't enough information at the time, or uh, there are, you know, things, there are, there are hidden dependencies. And I think back to, you know, and we were planning to, to have this episode, we were thinking through, I was thinking through some of the, the previous episodes and I really kept coming my, you know, you've talked about episode 18, which was a lot of fun, but episode, uh, I think it was 22, which is the one that talked about Log4j is the one that kept coming back up in my mind because that was an opportunity for us to share more broadly some of the lessons that we've learned related to those kinds of events. When an event happens that impacts a, a great majority of our members, and at this point, we're, we're coming up very closely on 15,000 SLTT members as part of the MS ISAC, MS and EI ISAC. So you have 15,000 organizations and a large chunk of them are uh, impacted by some major vulnerability or an attack against a, a particular piece of software or service. You have 15,000 different people who have 15,000 diff different problems, right? Unique to them, even though the, the vulnerability might be the same, how that piece of software is deployed, uh, what you know, potentially it impacts in their environment, who their stakeholders are, all of that is unique to them, uh, including also how they respond to those things, you know, what resources they have, if they have resources available from a you know, financial standpoint, from a technology standpoint, from a human capital standpoint, do they have somebody on scene that can actually help them resolve this problem? So we are always trying to, to figure that out. You know, how do we communicate most effectively in a crisis to help set our members up for success as effectively as possible, as as we possibly can across this swath of, of uh, organizations that range in maturity and resource availability. And that becomes, you know, it's a very difficult thing. And you actually touched on it earlier when you, you mentioned to Sean that he has, you know, in addition to the, the, the security functions that he has to support CIS, it's really about supporting this broader mission. Well, Sean was also impacted by Log4j, right? Because Absolutely. CIS was not, yeah. you know, we were, we were not protected just because we're a cybersecurity organization. Nobody knew about the vulnerabilities in Log4j before they came out. That's the whole premise behind a zero day. Mm -hmm. So CIS had 
you know, work that we had to do as well. And we also had Lou Garwood on that part, podcast talking about some of the capabilities that we support that we put out to the to the community, to the global community. So we had global customers who were potentially impacted by CIS products and resources. So kind of thinking through all of the different things that we have to do to meet in the middle, right? Operational support to our members while also protecting our own environment, our own data, while also addressing issues and vulnerabilities uh, or potential vulnerabilities in software that that we are deploying to, to global customers. I mean, it's a huge, for such a small organization, at the end of the day, I mean, CIS is still a pretty oh, small organization. Randy, you're exactly right. I mean, it's a, it's an astounding yeah. uh, diversity. You know, I've, I've run big organizations in the U.S. government. You know, I, I, I often joke, and I, I think it uh, could apply to Kathleen. You know, we take on some things that would have been a massively big government project, but we're doing it with two or three people. You know, and friends, right? All of the partners that we, but you know, these are, and when I say friends, I I say that uh, loosely, but I think correctly, right? We're we're not commanding big armies of contractors like a government agency would. We're we're finding like-minded folks to to bring together. So I think that really, and you know, I think I hope the reader, or the listeners appreciate, you know, when Sean describes like what we're doing internally. I mean, we're Sean. I think it's fair to say we're being pretty transparent, right? You're you're yep. talking about our our problems, our failures, our successes, our challenges, uh, from everything from technology to convincing the board that this is important, right? And, and how do I get their attention? And again, this is by, by design. We are, we are uh, you know, this is part of the model of, of CIS. That is, we're participants in this, in addition to, you know, folks who give advice and support communities. Uh, and we live this and we're, we're sharing that because we think that will help others find their way through this also. So there's no, you know, lofty on high stone tablets, you know, approach here. It's really going to be much more down than down in the earth. So I think that was a great point, Tony, just bringing up the friends aspect. Many of us mm -hmm. tap on our wide mm -hmm. uh, range of friends and in industry and CIS being mission driven is what that connector is. I have had so many great experiences and I think each of you has as well working with vendors, partners, uh, standards organizations, where people hear the problems and challenges that aren't just faced by our members, but are also faced by small and medium-sized businesses. And then they're drawn in and able to take on those use cases, embrace them, and start to have a bigger impact. So while CIS is small in number-wise, um, the impact is large because of the mission and because of the realization that we won't get ahead unless we are all working together. No, that is a great point. And it's, uh, you know, to, to echo what Randy was saying, I remember in the early days of the controls, you know, as we were merging into CIS and recognizing, oh my gosh, people are literally reading every word we put out there. Right. And, and you know, to, to our credit, to theirs, they're taking it really seriously. And, and that's, that's gratifying, but it also, to me, and to, to, I know the folks on this this WebEx here, um, it's an awesome responsibility, right? You know, those those trade-offs that Randy talked about. We, we really want to do our best. We want to help people across this whole range of you know, diverse organizations that count on us. People literally are counting on us. You know, we are seen as an important uh, friend and, and uh, a neutral, you know, independent of the government, uh, cooperative, but independent of the industry. Uh, and so it 
for me, it's always this reminder of our awesome responsibility to, to do our best. Every, doesn't, we're not perfect, but uh, to make an honest effort to really deal with this wide constituency and uh, you know, demonstrate our responsibility, whatever it takes, to help them you know, deal with the, the log 4Js, the incidents, the unforeseen zero days, and all that sort of thing is really a part of what we're trying to do here. Yeah, Tony, actually, the, uh, it's funny that you mentioned that too, because I, th- I think, you know, one of the things that's really attractive about this organization in particular is everybody that works here is very mission oriented, right? They're at CIS for a reason, because they, they truly do believe in the CIS mission, whether that's tied specifically to the ISAC mission and directly supporting SLTTs, whether it's tied to the controls mission, the benchmarks mission, right? Everybody that works here is 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 very mission oriented and you don't see that in a lot of for-profit entities right you know anybody here could probably go with the skill set that they have they could probably go make more money for a for-profit organization uh if they wanted to tomorrow right i mean the 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 weight that um, this organization holds uh their resumes are going to be impressive and i one of the things that i found that was really really interesting was a couple two years ago I did this this training here um, with the media organization to help prepare for having conversations with uh, with media like when we get media inquiries and uh, and they asked me that question like what you know what drives you like in the training they they were asking me like what drives you you know to um, to come to work every day and I talked about the mission and the the trainer actually responded to me you know everybody that I've talked to at this organization has answered the same way. Every single person here has talked. The first thing that they said was that, you know, how much they care about the mission. I think that speaks volumes about not just CIS as an organization, but the the caliber of folks that, that we tend to bring in mm-hmm. um, and that stick around at CIS. Yeah, the part of the, uh, you know, to Kathleen's point, and it's, that's a great point, Randy, I mean, but to, um, you know, again, a mission-driven organization that operates as a nonprofit and can, you know, our, our view is, right, the, the term I sometimes use for the, for the company, uh, you know, it's a bit hokey, but I'm an old hokey, is a platform for activism, right? We, we've shown that we can build a successful, self-sustaining, independent nonprofit. And that is really unusual in this industry, right? Most of our nonprofit friends are really working hard to get grants and you know, find funding sources and so forth. But we have, you know, thanks to the people that came before us, really built a successful business model, and we could we could be satisfied with that, right? Hey, we're helping people. You know, we got good jobs, got reputation, but that's not enough, you know. So activism, right? This, what that gives us is this platform, a way to actively, really try to change the environment. So the things that Kathleen had talked about, right, and the making of friends, right? We we don't have to. We're not sitting back. We're, we're going out there to try and make a big difference. Sometimes that difference has financial implications for us, right? Maybe there's another revenue model there, but frankly, most of them, it doesn't. Right? It's something that we do because we think the community needs us to do that. And we are in a position to do that. And that's a, such an amazing mindset, but it also then pays off. You know, it allows us to approach these partners that Kathleen talked about, right? To make these new friends because they know we're not coming because we think this is going to be the way for us to get grant money or to, you know, to build a new revenue stream uh, through licensing or whatever, we we can operate really across a spectrum of activities. As as our CEO often reminds us, uh, we have to be a successful business, but we also are activists, really trying to make a 
a big difference in all this. And I think that's that's a unique aspect of what we do. And I think that, again, we part of the culture, right? We we talk about it, we hire for it, we I think reinforce it at, at every opportunity. Completely agree, Tony. I mean, it puts us in such a position where we're able in some cases, and, and Randy, I'd, I'd love to just reference this with you in terms of reaction speed. Uh, and the reaction speed I'm talking about was the Log4J vulnerability response playbook. Randy, that was a that was a piece of art, really, in terms of the response capability that we'd seen. And I think that was generated through your team internally with a resource, and they wanted to put something together. And it was, yep, here's a, a great way of um, working through this problem of Log4j. And you mentioned this was literally hitting everybody in the space. Um, so I think opening up those opportunities, we've got people with mission-driven, very talented. And I think we also give a lot of people a platform to express themselves in that way, to show that talent, the innovation and the creativity in, you know, the cybersecurity space. Um, so what do you think, Randy? Does that make sense? Yeah. So um, I would say that uh, that was definitely a, a, uh, a success on our side, but it was not something that uh, happened overnight. You know, those are lessons that we learned over, over time. Um, so 2021 was a particularly difficult year in terms of events that were impacting the SLTT community. So we actually, you know, learned starting from solar winds and getting feedback from our members, what was valuable to them from our perspective, we actually did um, multiple iterations and got to a place where we were able to put together something very quickly where speed was of the essence with Log4j, you know, that was something that we learned over time from valuable feedback from our, from our member base and you know, in particular, you know, we ask the question each time, like, is this valuable as we put stuff out? Uh, is this valuable? And what we found is that sometimes putting anything out is uh, as quickly as possible is the most valuable thing. And then we will update it as we go. But we are looked at from our members as being a singular voice, a trusted voice. When there's so, in particular with Log4j, there was so much information that was out there that members had a hard time sifting through all the noise to find the things that were, you know, most important to them that they actually had to, to address. And so they were looking to us to, as Tony said, be those advice givers, right? To be the professional advice givers, to tell them these are the things you need to do in this order to address this particular uh, vulnerability in your environment. Right. And Log4j was particularly troubling because it wasn't as straightforward as some of the other vulnerabilities where you could just look and see, yes, I have or I do not have this in my environment. It's a library of code. It's a dependency that a lot of software uses. It's not something like Microsoft Word where I can just, you know, look at my software inventory and see, yes, clearly I have this or I don't. So that was a challenging aspect for it. But no, that's, that's how we great, get to speed. You know? Yeah, that's a great example, Randy. You know, again, of... Um... You know, the, the role that we play, right? We're, we're an IT company has to deal with this problem, but also recognizing that our membership, right? The people that count on us for advice or directly as members uh, will have the same problem. And so what can we do to help those, right? Who maybe don't have the access to the resources of a team like yours. How can we put it in a way that allows them to take action? And there, there was a term that um, they show on in the, the, the uh, podcast episode I referenced about how to get started. You used the term a couple of times, curation. You know, that is, it's not a lack of information that's out there, right? There's an incredible surplus, an overwhelming amount. The problem is no one can make sense of it all. 
So who can I trust to curate? Who can I trust to, you know, to, to have the skills and the judgment to pull the essence out of all that fog and provide that role that Randy talked about? And we you know we're very, very conscious of that role, not only for direct members, but for the community at large, the council. So I think that that is part of it. It also reminds me of the thing, Sean, I mean, we've just been through our strategic planning cycle, right? And that one of the joys of having a board of directors, and we do, uh, who, who we all love, uh, is no matter how much success you have, they want to know, so what's next? What's the new thing that you're going to come up with that will be even better? And some of that discussion was about uh, spending more energy uh, 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 analyzing and documenting the way we deal with these problems and sort of creating more practices that reflect that, that, that real life experience that we generate for ourselves, you know, in the spirit of the uh, Log4J as Randy described. So, so curation was that your word of that uh, episode and I really liked it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And just, uh, just as an FYI, when any, uh, when the board says, um, what's the next thing you're going to be working at? I just turn to Kathleen and just wait for <laughs> exactly. it. So Kathleen, what are we going to do next? Help. <laughs> well, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity and mm-hmm. the work that the federal government is doing is also very promising. We can complement that work with a slightly different angle with this focus of SLTTs, organizations with very few resources, because not only does security have to be built in by design and by default, it also has to be managed at scale. We have architected systems for the last 30 years or more where the end organization has had in the beginning a desire to have um, lots of configurability, right? To have their hands into everything. But the reality is that, you know, a good 90% of organizations don't have that level of expertise on staff. And so we've placed an undue burden on them. And we have to think about our systems, our applications, our management of security over time, according to the market. There's always going to be some that love that high level of configurability and there are products for them. So I think we need to drive forward and better accommodate the larger set of organizations who don't have those resources. And so the next five to 10 years hold some promise if we can think of that in terms of market sector. And that's some of the thinking we're going to be diving into uh, myself and my team and hopefully some of you lending your expertise as well in the coming years to see how can we get further ahead in the next five to 10 years and help these organizations very meaningfully. No, great, great stuff, Kathleen. And yeah, there's, there's plenty of big challenges. As you say, you know, we, we use a sort of a, a catchphrase sometimes in the strategic discussions that um, I forgot where we came up with this, but you know, most of our economy cannot defend itself in a traditional kind of security, build it yourself or model that Kathleen described, right? Where you, you buy IT, you go get security guidance, you buy security tools, you train people. That really doesn't apply to most, literally most of the economy in the U.S., and uh, pretending that, that that's how people will solve it is not going to solve the problem, right? It has to be built in. They need to buy security. They, it needs to come from their suppliers uh, further up the, you know, the tech stack. It, uh, you know, it has to be encouraged through policy, uh, through insurance, the insurance industry. And this sort of moving earlier, the, the left shift that Kathleen often talks about is really important, but it won't happen on its own. 
And so again, our, our activism allows us to try and bridge that gap between where people are today and how do we reshape the environment so we're in a different and more winnable fight for tomorrow. Absolutely. Absolutely. No question. No question. And uh, I think that leads us then, um, Tony, into uh, maybe concluding uh, this respective podcast again. Uh, thanks to you and uh, all the work and your insights for getting us to 50. However, there is one person here who has been in every single episode, and it's a little off script, but I'm going to ask Chad, do you mind just coming off mic really quick? Yeah, hello, guys. Yes. So, Chad, just wanted to say, and just for the 50th episode, that this is uh, not only mine and Tony's and the team's, but really a celebration of your work and ability and uh, the ideas that you're bringing and everything. I just wanted to say thank you so much and appreciate everything that you do for CIS and uh, for getting this podcast uh, curated, managed. Um, But I wanted to ask you, Chad, any particular episode that you liked? Um, well, usually it's the one with the most bloopers. Those are... <laughs> we knew you were going there. <laughs> and uh, what the audience doesn't know is I have a vault of all of uh, Tony and Sean's and all our guest bloopers. So um, I got that hung over their head. But, you know, it's it's I just really enjoyed uh, everything because it's great. I learn something new every episode, hearing all these different people from all over the industry uh, and it's, it's, it's been a pleasure working with you guys is great and, and learning all this. And of course, uh, supporting CIS and all the people who listen to this. So it's, it's been a joy no, well, and looking forward to the next 50. Exactly. That's right. You bet. No, Chad, you do uh, most of the work behind the scenes and we really appreciate it. Sean, you know, when we first started this idea of this podcast, I remember my first, the first thought was, I have no idea how to set this up and organize and run the podcast. <laughs> 50 episodes later, I still have no idea <laughs> because behind the scenes, you know, is an entire team of folks like Chad, you know, Chad handles the production and stuff, but uh, you know, it's, it's been an amazing team effort and uh, you know, you and I just show up, right? <laughs> we dream up topics and we come and have a great conversation, learn things from each other. And I think also I'll share with uh, Randy and Kathleen something they've already likely figured out. This is the best excuse ever to get together with smart people and just talk. We get more time to, to have these kind of conversations than we would during a normal WebEx is blocked off every hour kind of work day. And I really appreciate the opportunity, Sean, to spend time with you, with Randy, with Kathleen, and all the folks that we've had on. Absolutely. Yeah, and thank you to you, Tony. Uh, again, um, it's fantastic working with you and uh, really learning. Uh, I mean, I'm learning from the master, and it, it's absolutely fantastic. And uh, we get to share it, right? We, we get to record these things and actually share our thoughts with, with others. And uh, so it's appreciated. It's a privilege. And again, thank you uh, to David and Kim, also behind the scenes, uh, producing, directing, leading us. Um, to 50 episodes. Uh, unbelievable that we got here. And also Danielle, um, who kicked us off and uh, got us rolling uh, in this space as well. So it's great work, much appreciated. And as we conclude, um, is we just want to say to our audience, thank you. Um, again, it's without you. Um, this is just a conversation between friends, really. And uh, so we thank you for listening. Again, send any of your suggestions, topics, ideas to podcast at cisecurity.org. Remember to subscribe in all the normal ways. Thank you to Kathleen and Randy uh, for joining us on this 50th celebration. Uh, And again, thank you to Tony uh, for everything he does. 
Uh, and with that, you, absolutely. Thank you, Tony. With that, thank you, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Cybersecurity Where You Are. If you have feedback or an idea for an upcoming episode, let us know by emailing podcast at cisecurity.org. You can also find cybersecurity best practices, resources, and communities on the Center for Internet Security website, cisecurity.org. Help us create confidence in the connected world.